Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guests are Pete Rizzo and Aaron Van Wordham, reporters in the Bitcoin space. We talk about the types of articles that news organizations want, how money influences the content, and the incentives of news organizations. Pete and Aaron also tell us about what it took to write this piece and what it will take to get quality pieces like this in the future. Pete and Aaron are both veteran reporters in the Bitcoin space. Pete was the editor-in-chief for a long time at Coindesk, while Aaron has been at Bitcoin Magazine. Aaron's always been one of my favorite reporters for how he takes complex technical topics and makes them accessible to ordinary people. Pete has ventured into this realm with this article on pay to script hash. I found the contrast between what Pete used to do at Coindesk and what he did in this article to be astonishing. I hope you enjoy this episode. Aaron Van Wordham and Pete Rizzo. How are you guys? Feeling all time high. Jimmy Song. <laughs> I'm doing well. What about you? I'm doing pretty well. The whole Corona thing's just like, you know, messing with my mind still. But but yeah, how are things wherever you guys are? Corona wise or just generally? Yeah, just generally. How are you feeling? You know, like what's your mood these days? Uh, well, the weather is shit. Everything's closed. So <laughs> <laughs> there's been better periods, but personally, I'm doing okay. okay. Yeah, same Maybe. here. Yeah, excited to, to chat about what we've been working on and just, you know, personally kind of feeling like, you know, I think as I was saying before, you know, this, people might know me as someone who published, you know, journalism every day for four or five years and, you know, have been kind of away in the workshop for a while and finally publishing something for the first time in, a, in about a year. So for me, kind of coming out of hibernation and I think, you know, hopefully coinciding with a lot of people tuning back into Bitcoin after being away for a few years, as they tend to do when the price is in the doldrums. Hmm. Well, you were a reporter and now you're not, or you are, you're not. What's going on here, Pete? What have yeah, you been up to? Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm joining Bitcoin Magazine as an advisor, so still keeping my hands sort of on the media space, obviously full-time every day at, at Kraken, the Bitcoin and crypto exchange as well. So yeah, but I've also been doing a lot of personal work. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot about this, Jimmy, you know, off air and on the sidelines mm -hmm. with just, you know, I went through a period of just feeling like the journalism or the work that I was producing you know, really wasn't incentivized to help Bitcoin in any way, right? And I think that I had to make some personal changes to fix that and then also figure out, you know, what I could provide intellectually to the Bitcoin space, like what things that I were still thinking about and where I had unanswered questions. So, yeah, I think I know you want to talk about journalism and, and research and, and how that fits into Bitcoin and, and its economic model. And I certainly feel like I've gone through a lot of thinking there myself. Yeah, that's an excellent segue because we really do want to talk about the incentives of reporting. You guys have been reporters for a long time and specifically you guys both kind of, at least with this piece, you're specializing in a sort of like an investigative reporting. So before we start on the actual piece and stuff, what are the incentives like? How does the money flow for a reporter? Like what do you get paid to do? What are the incentives for the actual magazine or the publication? And, you know, 
in general, how's that all work? <laughs> well, that varies quite widely depending on the publication for sure, um, you know, and the business model of the publication. You know, people most often associate with myself with Coindesk, where I was the editor for many years, obviously a really heavy events business model, you know, Bitcoin Magazine, where I'm now an advisor and where Aaron, you know, writes most of his content, obviously very focused on events model as well. That's kind of where media is developed. But, you know, there's all sorts of ways to do it, right? We've seen the rise of independent podcasting, independent blogging. And I think, you know, there's a good argument to suggest that is also journalism now too, right? I think, you know, I've been actually pleasantly surprised to see that the number of people who have adopted journalism as just a general ideological concept, right? So I think one of my favorite examples is Peter McCormick, who doesn't really consider himself a journalist, but dabbles in journalism. You know, someone who have people in Bitcoin have been watching, he's adopted it as a useful perspective on things, right? I think journalism is a tool, right? It's something that anyone can use to achieve things. And it's probably best form, whether or not journalists or media outlets always succeed in realizing that or their business models allow that. That's kind of a complex question. It gets a lot into how the internet is changing the flow of information, how journalists are switch situated within that information flow, and then the personal choices that they make, right? I think Aaron, don't want to speak for him, but you know, he's made a lot of choices, I think, to do things in a way that, you know, you could probably argue aligned better with Bitcoin incentives than other journalists, maybe myself included up until, you know, our recent publication. Yeah, uh, which brings me to what Aaron's been doing for a long time. And I think one of the things I really appreciate about you, Aaron, is that you've taken it upon yourself to make sure that what you write are in line with your values. And that's something that you don't really see that much with reporters today. Can you speak a little bit about why that is? Why you do not see that with other reporters? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, it seems like you had to fight to get to where you are and do what you've wanted to do. Yeah, well, without necessarily accepting the premise, because I think there are good <laughs> reporters out there that aren't me. <laughs> yeah, I think Pete touched on this, but over the past you know, 20 years or so with the rise of the internet, I think people are less willing to actually pay for content. And I'm one of them, like I'll readily admit that. I, you know, I skip over every paywall I see. I never pay for anything in that way. But that is a very big change compared to the era of paper newspapers. So money has really shifted towards, the monetization has really shifted towards advertisement and these kinds of things. And that has really stimulated this attention economy where it's all about clicks, where it's all about drawing attention. And it's not necessarily about really following your own interest as a journalist, maybe, or even thinking about working on a quality piece that just takes longer and won't get as much clicks as something more sensational. So I think that's unfortunately uh, unfortunate in general. Mm. Yeah, I would maybe hop in there and say that I would actually say it's a little bit deeper than that coming from myself. And I'm interested to hear Aaron's thoughts on this where, you know, I did graduate with a degree in journalism and did consider myself more schooled in that ideology. I think you know, for me, it's about objectivity and, and skepticism, right? I think that as a journalist, you're encouraged to, you know, consider the other side or con consider opposing views, right? And I think with Bitcoin, it's kind of interesting. I ended up hitting a point where I had to make a pretty serious change in, in terms of how I thought about objectivity, right? Because I think objectivity requires you, I think, to be dispassionate. And, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that 
you know, everybody gets to decide their own definition of objectivity, right? I think too often journalism can be taking the other side for the devil's advocate type case. And I think that's where, you know, maybe isn't as useful. But I think, you know, for myself, when, you know, I realized coming out of the last Bitcoin cycle and the, and the Bitcoin kind of fork war period, I guess, as you would call it now, that Bitcoin was really succeeding, right? It was triumphing over and, you know, in spite of a lot of our efforts, right? And I think that was sort of a huge realization for me where I kind of, you know, took a hard look at what was going on and said, wow, like Bitcoin is objectively succeeding as money in all likelihood, right? If I think if we, many people would agree that if we go into 2021 and we hit, you know, new all-time highs for Bitcoin, we'll have now seen three Bitcoin bubbles each four years apart, each one and a half years equidistant from the halving. And, you know, I think there's going to be a really solid argument at that at that point that Bitcoin is a cyclical, predictable economy, right? And that it is a viable and reliable alternative to government economies. And, you know, you could say, well, how did you spend three and a half years in Bitcoin and not notice that? And I think, you know, with journalism is we really often encouraged to adopt objectivity, which I think sometimes uh, becomes too often like passivity, right? You sort of ignore things or you just adopt a lens where, you know, there was Bitcoin and there was all these other cryptocurrencies. And do you write about them? Should your attention go there? Are they succeeding against Bitcoin? And you kind of go down this rabbit hole of, I think it's really hard to be a journalist in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency without having some stance on that. I think the default stance tends to be that all cryptocurrencies are equal and should be treated equally. That is sort of the what I would say the mainstream crypto media outlook is, right? Mm-hmm. And I began to feel that that was wrong and misguided because it was sort of ignoring an increasingly large body of scientific evidence that, you know, as I said earlier, that Bitcoin is cyclical. It's in fact moving a lot of the market through these cycles and that in many ways it's succeeding in what it was designed to do. And ultimately, I sort of just fell out of the profession at that point. You know, you can make the argument that what I'm doing, still doing now is journalistic, you know, in regards to searching for answers uh, for things about the past. But yeah, I think, I don't know if that's uh, interesting to hear what you guys have to say about that. But I think, you know, objectivity, I think was a big uh, piece for me. And when my view of objectivity changed, I had to figure out what to do with that. Yeah, but that's kind of the problem there, isn't it, Pete? Your view of objectivity shouldn't be able to change if it's objective. (laughs) And that is why I think this idea of objectivity is mostly false. Like every individual, every person has its own experience, its own background, its own knowledge, its own vision, its own everything. So asking this purely subjective entity to write something objective, that's just impossible and if you're going to pretend to be objective i think that's basically lying so the better approach i think is to try and be honest and truthful and transparent about who you are and where you're coming from what you care about what you own in this crypto sphere for example i think transparency is a much better ideal to strive for transparency honesty truthfulness and yeah you're going to be subjective because that's who you are but there's no way around that yeah i think i would i would push back on that a little bit and i would say that like uh, objectivity within journalism needs to be somewhat directed by science right like the like i think there's a realization that bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are science right like there's there you you over enough time you should be able to prove that certain things are happening or are not happening 
And I think that and maybe in this is true in my case, but I know that you were able to sort of sidestep some of this is that, you know, there wasn't a body of evidence early on that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies were working and in the way that we know them now, right? I would say like at this point, we have 10 years of evidence to look at in the market. And that wasn't always true. And I think some of the other theses, there was probably more evidence to suggest at that point that they could have been correct. And so from a nature of objectivity, where you're trying to consider different opinions, I think you ultimately have to look at that, right? So I would just say that the dominant thesis within crypto journalism, even today, are sort of, you know, you have the no coinerisms, right? Like Bitcoin is a scam and it's a, and it's a Ponzi scheme and everyone in the market is a bad actor that needs additional scrutiny. That's still very common. You have what I would call crypto objectivity, which is the idea that all cryptocurrencies are equal and there's, you know, basically you, you treating them one against the other, you know, there's no difference, right? Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and the next thing and the next thing are things that all require equal weight in reporting because but why do you call that objective? Why isn't that a perspective you have? So I would say that that is because I think that that group hasn't really been forced to realize that that's a perspective. I think that, you know, I, and I certainly notice this amongst journalists that, you know, Bitcoin maximalists, quote unquote, which is a camp that I increasingly identify with, you know, are looked at as zealots or people who are you know, sort of idealists or ideologues, right? Whereas people who are journalists working at a media outlet who cover all cryptocurrencies equally are not seen that way. So I'm not really arguing like, look, I think you can actually even argue that like maybe, you know, through my role at Coindesk and other places, like I, I helped that become a system that was entrenched. But I don't know. I don't think they realize it as much, right? I don't think that... I do think you're correct. It's not objectivity, but I think within the current domain, I don't know. I, I would be interested to hear your counter argument that that is not how you would describe most of the journalism that takes place within cryptocurrency. Well, so that, I would say that that's not really objectivity per se. It's maybe like a very shallow form of objectivity. It's sort of like a very easy default to get into because it looks fair on the surface. But if you dig into it in any depth, that wouldn't yeah, that, be the that, case. And that's entirely and that my point. To... I think that the reason that that has happened is because, you know, there's been an influx. Like, so just to even just give re a listener some context, right? When Aaron and I started doing journalism about Bitcoin in 2013, we were probably one of the few people in the world to be doing it. Right now, I recently co-founded a group of cryptocurrency journalists and researchers, the Association of Cryptocurrency Journalists and Researchers. And there's 300 people on our chats on things, right? So the body of people has expanded. And as those people, you know, haven't maybe had the time in the market, they haven't had the time observing Bitcoin as a technical phenomena, and their work becomes more pervasive. I think both of you are right in the criticisms, and I'm agreeing with you, I would just say that there's a reason that this has come to dominate. Mm. Well, so that's the question that's interesting to me is why is this dominating? Because it is a very sort of shallow understanding of what's going on. And that's something that I find from what you would call cryptocurrency journalists everywhere is that they don't want to dig into sort of the details and the technicals and understand why Bitcoin is very different than, say, Ethereum or XRP or something like that. Instead, there's this tendency to just sort of treat them all the same and say, oh, well, this is one currency, here's another kind of like 
you know, their sports teams or yeah, something and, like that. And, and I would say uh, that that's a result from the fact that businesses in the cryptocurrency industry by and large benefit from there being many cryptocurrencies. Like we saw this in 2017, mm. you know, with the ICO boom, you know, Ethereum became a platform for many different quote unquote financial applications. Uh, the narrative, you know, that Silicon Valley then pushed in response to that was that Bitcoin was email, it was useful, it had value proposition and Ethereum was was the internet, right? So you saw this types of arguments proliferate. And yeah, I would just say that that, you know, very quickly kind of became, you know, the narrative that everything was seen in that context, right? So people might not even know, like, I think a lot of cases people don't, you know, they haven't really dug into the space enough to see Bitcoin differently, right? I guess my other question, this is then a question to you, Pete. Are altcoin, shitcoin articles on general doing better than Bitcoin articles, you would say? Because this gets back to my well, attention. So, so, it, so this is this kind of it kind of became the thing with like and then uh, with crypto media in general, right? Is that if you have you know one price index, right, and it's just Bitcoin, are you going to get more traffic with that one index than having a thousand price pages with a thousand different prices on them? So again, like the industry, and I think this is true of many businesses within cryptocurrency, and it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out, right? Because I think increasingly, I would put myself in someone in the camp of saying, okay, like, I think Bitcoin is succeeding. I think the scientific case that it is, you know, doing things that the data in its economy is acting differently than the data in these other economies, like there's actual science that you can point to that that would speak to this as being the correct view that is sort of getting drowned out by this idea that, you know, everyone in the crypto industry benefits from there being more cryptocurrencies. There's more pages, there's more topics, there's more search volume, there's more keywords for you to target. There's more ways for you to optimize. There's, there's more distraction. Yes, right. Well, I, there's more look, content totally that you could you. sell. And I think basically. that's one of the reasons that I fell out of mainstream crypto media and really wanting to do more with the work, right? And I think we had these kind of personal conversations as well, where I think that, you know, it was basically like, what do you do as a person in that environment who thinks that the system is kind of out of whack, right? You have to kind of then make a personal choice to say, you know, I want to devote time to Bitcoin. I want to, you know, keep digging into why Bitcoin is advancing. And I'm even seen as like somewhat heretical amongst other journalists for having taken that approach, right? Like I, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, going back to kind of the perspective of like, you know, the three buckets, there's sort of the no corner perspective, there's crypto, quote unquote, objectivity, I would agree with you that it's not quite objectivity. And then the answer, well, then the other question is like, you know, Bitcoin, there's like Bitcoin maximalism type journalism, right? And I think this is what Aaron pioneered. And, you know, increasingly what I find sort of interesting is because, you know, I think there is a way to do journalism like and about Bitcoin in a way that provides value to people. I mean, I still think that that, you know, this is something that people have to identify that they want to do, though. They have to make a choice to do it and they have to see some of the other issues with these other perspectives. Well, so Aaron, like Pete's making a very interesting point about sort of these three groups of journalists. And I would definitely count you in the Bitcoin maximalist camp. And, you know, maybe you are sort of like a heretic among all the other journalists. But the thing that I really like about the articles that you write is that they are very in-depth, whereas a lot of the other articles in, say, about XRP or something like that, it's almost always like written from the company or something, right? Like it's like a press release instead of an actual story. Whereas 
the stories that you're writing and the piece that Pete, you're going to release, it's a lot more in depth. It has something interesting in it. It's got content that's like actually meaty instead of, I don't know, like a sugary soft drink or something like that. Can you explain why that's not as incentivized in the current marketplace? Well, first of all, thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Why it's not as incentivized? Okay, well, let's be honest. I think a lot of people are in this industry because they want to make a quick buck. <laughs> that's just the truth. So if you want to you know, draw the most attention, then you probably got to write articles that will explain to people which coin is going to moon next. But to get back to your point, I do... I mean, the interesting thing about Bitcoin, well, one of the interesting things is that this, you know, it's decentralized, it's peer-to-peer, it's something people are actually part of in the most literal way. They actually run the software on their computer, hopefully at least. And in that way, they make up Bitcoin together. It's something that people enforce together. And it's a new form of money. So I think it's probably... It's probably important that people actually understand how it works and people actually understand why running the software matters or how the software can change or what parts they are of that system. So that's the, I guess that's the type of articles I'd like to write where you sort of help people understand, give a little bit more understanding of how the engine actually works and how they are part of it. Yeah, I would maybe piggyback off that and say that Aaron, I think, was one of the first journalists in the industry to realize that a traditional like markets-based journalism perspective like was not helpful for Bitcoin. So I'll provide a bit of context here because I think, you know, my role formerly as editor of CoinDesk is like instructive here. You know, so that publication was originally predicated on the idea that, you know, it was going to be the next tech crunch, right? That Bitcoin was the protocol and you were covering the startups that were growing on top of Bitcoin. Right. Very quickly, that gave way and uh, to something else. And I think that gave away in 2017 to a, a markets based journalism approach, right, which is that the idea that there were many cryptocurrencies, they were competing for the quote, same thing. And I'm using this language here so that you can kind of see how the thought process has evolved. And therefore, the right thing to do was to cover the many cryptocurrencies that were evolving from a market based journalism perspective, those two lenses, venture backed journalism and markets journalism, are very ill equipped to, to deal with something like Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is an innovation, it has done something and achieved something I think at this point that, you know, previously it wasn't possible in human history for there to be a money that was operated outside of, you know, a government type system, right? Digital money. So the structure of journalism was very ill-equipped to deal with that. And I think that that is true of most other innovations, right? So you look at the invention of flight, right? So the Wright brothers invented flight and you would find that most scientific journals and newspapers didn't report on that when it happened, right? They reported on it many years later. Like once it was understood that, you know, something that was impossible before was now possible. So I think Bitcoin has definitely paid an innovator's price for that. I think the question that I've been increasingly looking at and, and that Aaron has helped me, you know, move forward is like this idea of like, well, you know, if you do think that Bitcoin is a legitimate technical phenomena, and that is a, a scientific innovation, and that is widely misunderstood, and that most people are releasing information about it in a way that is problematic, well, what do you do? What is the response that you have to that? You know, so I think for me personally, it was to get serious about answering the unanswered questions that I had about Bitcoin. And my thesis changed from, you know, it was really about, okay, I've written two or 3,000 articles about cryptocurrencies, and in a couple of years, nobody will probably read them. 
right? I think I'm comfortable at this point saying that like that body of work that I created, it was helpful in pushing forward a publication, but there's no reason to go back to it. There wasn't a lot there. <laughs> so I think, you know, the perspective that I ended up adopting was that, okay, well, let's take the lens that Bitcoin is succeeding as money. This is going to be a financial system of the future. What don't we know about it? And I was able to kind of find a way to reapply that lens that I just really, you know, within the markets-based journalism perspective, you know, I had fallen out of that. So hopefully that's helpful. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting because what you're describing is lower time preference behavior as a reporter. Instead of going for the clicks now, you're thinking much more about the long term. Is that something that's come about as a result of being in this space? Or is that, you know, something that you just gain as you're getting older? What's the deal here? <laughs> I think it was about perspective, right? I think for me, it really took the realization of understanding that my work, like, you know, it contributed, right? Like, I, I'm very dismissive of it now because I feel sort of creatively unsatisfied with it, right? I think it like moved, quote, the industry forward or the conversation forward. But then you kind of come to a longer time preference perspective and you say, okay, well, in reality, those things weren't actually important, right? I think there's this myth that cryptocurrency space moves fast. It does not. The cryptocurrency space moves actually very slowly. The thing is that there's so much noise that people are sucked into these you know, short-term narratives and short-term cycles that just don't make any sense, right? So I think that, you know, I certainly haven't been as ideologically pure or motivated as Aaron has, right? I think Aaron was able to identify this early on. He was able to develop a slower journalism type cycle. And I think that sort of began to appeal to me as someone who had come out of similar personal experiences and saying, okay, well, this other stuff that we're doing isn't working, right? Like we're, you know, you can ask questions, you can do research about these other subjects, but it's not really actually getting close to the heart of what's happening, which is that the world at large is trying to make sense of this breakthrough that no one really can quantify. And I think that's, for me, that really hit home during the fork wars, which is a period I'll probably keep referencing, because it really showed that even the people who were most in the market were the most aloof about what was going on. Right. You had people in the market who had been there longer than I had since 2011 who were revealed to just have no idea what Bitcoin was. And I think to me, it's like once I had that personal experience, I had to shift my personal work towards figuring out how that had happened and, and speaking to it. So, yeah, that's a great point about the ignorance of the people that are supposedly very influential and so on. And that's something that we don't speak enough about. We just sort of assume that the people that are in charge of these companies, for example, know what the hell they're talking about. Oftentimes they don't. And one of the things that at least the way I see the responsibility of the reporter or the thing that the reporter brings to the marketplace is information that's actually useful. But if all the information is, you know, the equivalent of, you know, Diet Coke or something like that, where all you're seeing are like essentially price pump pieces or listicles or whatever, that's not really information that's really getting to those people in the right way. Whereas more in-depth pieces about what Bitcoin is and how things are going to change and what this means going forward those are the things that actually should be getting to those people. And, you know, in a sense, maybe part of the fork wars and all of the industry people that were sort of against Segwit, for example, was due to sort of like the fluffy journalism. What do you guys think of that idea? Why do you think it was due to fluffy journalism? 
Well, because they weren't getting the information is my uh, thesis at the book. But I would I argue mean, that the market what, didn't what, have that information. And I think that was what was really interesting about that time period to me, right? There was no... So let's drag another personal experience of mine through the mud here, right? So this was you know, choosing how to run a publication during the Bitcoin cash and Bitcoin split, right? So I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with that. The quote unquote objective stance was to treat both sides equally, right? And to assume that the market was going to dictate the outcome and to cover that. I think that perspective was also made out of necessity. And the necessity there was that, and, you know, it was sort of impossible to know the minutiae of, not minutiae, sorry, like the philosophy of Bitcoin was being developed in real time. Right. I would actually argue today if I was going to state, okay, what are the main philosophical pillars of what Bitcoin is? I would argue that in 2017, we did not know all of them. We did not actually know, have a good understanding of the design as we do today. So I think some of that is, you know, it was, you could argue like what was. So, yeah. So I would say like with the nodes, right? Being a good example in Bitcoin, right? Was it objective to say that nodes decided how you know, decided the outcomes of Bitcoin protocol splits, right? I think that there's, as I look back, there's more evidence to suggest that that was a likely view. But until the market actually gave us an outcome, did we really know that? Did we really know that in the way that the, you know, Bitcoin core crowd of that time suggested we did? I don't know. I'm still incredibly conflicted about some of these things, even years later. Well, so I would say, as an example, is that back in these days, and I'm, this was probably even before 2017, maybe like 2016, it was before the Ethereum-Ethereum classic split happened. There was a narrative pushed essentially by, well, should I get into names? or Well, I'll just mention Gavin Andreessen, for example, who made the argument that a split, a blockchain split, a coin split could not happen, in fact. He made the argument that the longest chain is Bitcoin, and therefore everyone will just split to the longest chain. Now, I was keeping up with that conversation at the time. And in my view, that was just factually wrong. Like, no, of course, you can have a node and you keep running your node. And then if other people go along on a different chain, then surely, like for a fact, you can have a blockchain split. So for me, the truthful thing to do there was not to sort of argue that both positions could be right or might be right no the fact is that if you keep running a node your blockchain will keep spinning blocks as long as there are miners and the blockchain will split that's just a fact i'm not gonna play objective journalist if i know for a fact that what you're saying is not correct so i'm just gonna explain what i think is I think so time, that's what i did in that time, time. So that was, is that subjective is that yeah but at the time that that was being made that was a viewpoint that was be, being put out by the quote-unquote chief scientist of the bitcoin foundation right so the again like here's something where you know journalism sort of like relies in some way on like again and i wouldn't say journalism in its purest sense journalism in its in the actual production every day daily job aspect of journalism, you know, requires that like things like that aren't happening, right? I think the idea that, you know, I think at that time, there was a lot of journalists, I put myself in that bucket, who were sort of thrust into a situation where immediately we had to understand everything about the Bitcoin market to the level that the highest experts of the field were currently debating it, right? So at that time, to make the decision that Aaron 
made, you would have had to have internalized Bitcoin's history, its its philosophical design, its you know its, its technical goals to such a high degree that you were able to sort of weigh in on a disagreement between Greg Maxwell and Gavin Andreessen, who you know were two of the people who had essentially been building it from literally almost the earliest time. You know, and and you could say that in superlative instances, like I think Aaron really rose to that occasion, and, and a lot of his work really stands up because of that. To say that journalism as a whole, quote unquote, will be able to manage a shift like that, no, I don't think it could have. Right? I think that was a unique example of Bitcoin being a you know scientific technical phenomena that was being understood in real time, and I, I'm not sure what journalism could have done to solve that. Right. Like in in any discipline, if the foremost experts in the field have wildly different views on even like what it is, how can you expect journalists to really be the arbiters there? (laughs) That tells me a lot about the state of journalism outside of Bitcoin, which is interesting because in a sense, you see that all the time where you have lots of experts that differ on a problem and you don't really get that much depth on what's going on or you get a very one-sided hearing of what's going on. And in that sense, I suppose that that's the state of reporting today is that we don't really get a very in-depth look or, you know, sort of because of this veneer of objectivity or whatever, a lot of reporters seem kind of hesitant to say, oh, okay, well, this person seems to be lying and or this person just seems to be saying something that is just flat out untrue. Where do you sort of like draw the line between like knowing enough about something versus sort of trusting what someone else is saying? Like, how much do you verify? How much do you trust as a reporter and what's appropriate? Are you asking either of us specifically? (laughs) Uh, Both of you, because it's a general question about reporting and how much you do rely on authorities, because in a sense, that's kind of what got a lot of people in trouble, isn't it? I mean, I trust developers when it comes to what they tell me the code does. And I kind of have to because I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. This is maybe something I need to change. I've been thinking about this a lot. I need to learn to program because otherwise I just sort of need to take the word on what's in a new Bitcoin Core software release or something like that. But, you know, until I am a programmer, until I reach that point where I can read, you know, C++ code or whatever else it's written in, then that is something I'm going to have to trust them on. I don't necessarily need to trust them on what that means like i can sort of reason about how a blockchain works and how transactions are included in a block and how that's prioritized over something else or i can sort of imagine the system working i just can't read the actual code so that's more or less where i would draw the line and if i don't understand something i'll just keep asking until i do understand but yeah the literal code part is something where i just have to sort of assume that the process is reliable enough to produce something that does what it promises. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, I think that really highlights kind of the essential point that we're talking about, right? That journalism does require a deference to expertise, right? Even if you whittle it down and say in Aaron's case that, you know, he understood the technical philosophical arguments really well, and he still really needed to, in his journalism during that period, rely on the coders to communicate things to him, right? I think that's very that very eloquently speaks to the nature that, that journalism isn't about necessarily doing the thing itself. It's about you know, communicating what is going on in that field or discipline or subject matter to more people, right? To the masses, right? So 
I think in like the case of how I've evolved to think about it, I took those philosophical struggles that I had and I think, you know, I eventually just decided to like plow that into my work, right? So the article that we're going to release, you know, it's called The Battle for P2SH, The Untold Story of the First Bitcoin War, right? This is a deeply researched piece, it's, you know, 16, 17 pages, at least on my Google Doc, you know, and this dives into really kind of the first ideological split about what Bitcoin was, right? I think for, and, and I learned a lot while writing this, and I think it helped me kind of focus on the things that I wanted to cover, right? There were like subjects that I think as you were alluding to, Jimmy, are like are a little bit more advanced, right? I wanted to understand how Bitcoin came together. I was asking questions about Bitcoin's philosophy. And, you know, this really came, or the idea for this really came out of my struggles to be basically say, okay, well, you know, how have these higher level subjects that, you know, I didn't understand or didn't know at the time, like, how did they come together? Like, what do we know about Bitcoin's philosophy? What do we know about how the philosophy evolved? What do we know about how that philosophy evolved over time? Right. Those are like very complex questions that really like, you know, a piece of journalism that if you're, you know, a desk job at some sort of company, that it's not really going to, you're not going to have the most time to dig into that. Right. So in this case, you know, what I think I gained from it was, you know, insight into how Bitcoin was shaped as a philosophy and technology, some examples of, you know, how the early views of Bitcoiners differed from how they do today, clarity on who contributed what to the Bitcoin project and evidence of their specific contributions, which was all stuff that, you know, I had felt that I had lacked, right? I had felt that I hadn't, you know, done my job. I think I had done my job to my professional standards, but maybe not to the standards that, that Bitcoin required, right? And I was left with questions. And those questions were, you know, was I being manipulated because I didn't understand the code or and I had to talk to the coders? Like, did I actually, were the things that I was told to believe actually true? Like, was there the body of evidence that other people suggested you know, and I think in this case, hopefully some of your deep listeners who are familiar with P2SH, the BIP16, BIP17 split as, you know, kind of what we're used to hearing as the beginning of ideological split amongst developers will come away with some understanding of this time period and how to make their own decisions. I think that's, for me, what I would actually say, like my new definition of, of Bitcoin journalism is, or like what I would aspire to, I would aspire to writing things that give Bitcoiners the tools to come to their own perspective on how the technology was shaped. I think ultimately that's something we need more of maybe. And I think we also need to have a bit more of a healthy conversation around, you know, some of these people and events that happened in its history, right? You can, you can say whether or not this is just journalism, but I, I think it's probably useful. I think we've created a lot of heroes and villains like in Bitcoin's history, and I'm not 100% sure that we've you know, in all cases done that with a high degree of accuracy. Yeah. So one of the things that I really liked about the piece, having read it is, is that I got to say, Pete, you raised your game on this one, because in a sense, like, it's very obvious to me reading it that you didn't understand this stuff before, but you did understand. It. And it's a similar thing that I get out of a lot of your pieces, Aaron, too, is that you get the sense, okay, all right, he finally gets it, right? Like he didn't understand this before, but through the process of writing this story, you know, as a reporter, I could tell that you were like some light bulbs went off and you're like, oh, okay, this is what actually happens. And, you know, I mean, I'm not going to exclude myself from that conversation either. Like there are a lot of pieces that I've written where I didn't really understand it before actually digging in. 
And after I've written it, some those are my proudest pieces, right? Like, you know, there was a bug in the Segwit2x stuff that I wrote about a while ago, and that was examining code that I hadn't seen before. There was like the the inflation bug with Matt Corallo that I wrote a while back that was very similar. But in a sense, like good reporting, good journalism, good writing, and it like kind of has to take you to another level and has to take your readers up along with you. And that to me is really good journalism, whereas a lot of the other stuff that out there doesn't lift people up. It just sort of like feeds them sugary drinks. Well, or again, it takes, uh, I appreciate the compliment greatly. And it makes me, you know, feel good after, you know, devoting like a, a ton of time <laughs> to figuring out how to, how to redo, <laughs> you know, how to reapproach what I was doing. You know, it, it's really just a realization that the, the traditional market-based perspective of cryptocurrency reporting like isn't working. And it's not working because... Mm-hmm. It's actually not getting to the essential questions about Bitcoin, right? It's kind of falsely describing Bitcoin as one of a number of competing things and then positioning those things in a context and as if they're equal actors. So, you know, going back to that, I think that, you know, where Bitcoin journalism needs to focus a lot of its energy, or at least this is what, you know, my current thesis is, is that, you know, that Bitcoin philosophy and technical design was the product of events and people. I think that looks increasingly clear, right? As people who are are Bitcoiners, we're going to have to increasingly live with this weird contradiction, which is I think that Bitcoin is going to increasingly be a large technical system, monetary system that is incapable of being changed um, and that it's incapable of being colluded against. And it's, you know, sort of this, you know, the way Adam Bax says the Bitcoin are the pyramids, right? It's this great human construction that will live for a long time. We're going to have to live with the fact that Bitcoin is both that and it is the product of people and events who could have shaped it in different ways, right? And I think that for people who have been around Bitcoin for a while, that's hard, right? Like it's hard to adopt the perspective of, you know, we can sort of go out in the market and say, you know, Bitcoin is indestructible. It's the, you know, the planetary system of monetary that the monetary system has needed. You know, Bitcoin is a gravitational constant, right? These are all kind of like things that are being put out there by Michael Saylor and, the, and those types. I think rightly so. But we also, I think, have to acknowledge that, you know, Gavin Andreessen was also a person who at certain points in time, like, probably could have made massive changes to the Bitcoin code, right? He was like, he was just a unique individual that, and the Bitcoin technical system was a certain way back then where, you know, as the piece kind of illustrates, like maybe he could have like had a huge impact on the system or, you know, maybe other people did have that impact on that system. You know, maybe their personal choices mattered, right? So one of the things that I really liked about the piece is I think you got a sense of like who those people were, right? We've kind of been shrouded in this like Bitcoin core blockstream is is evil type of myth. And and here you get to see like, okay, well, there are actually individual Bitcoin developers who contributed highly unique ideas at times in Bitcoin's life cycle where that probably mattered very greatly. Yeah. So that is all very interesting in the sense of, you know, what were the personalities and all that. And I think those are worth talking about too. I guess for me, the real question is about reporting and what its purpose is. What are you trying to get your readers? Like, how are you um, sort of benefiting your readers, I guess? And that seems to have been lost a little bit in mania about different altcoins and so on. So for you guys, what is the purpose of reporting journalism and what are you trying to you know, do for your readers that's beneficial to them that they, 
that, you know, makes them better, I guess, as people. <laughs> I don't know about making them better as people, but I know that I think, well, Pete already sort of described this as he was talking about Bitcoin, like the pyramids or something that will last for the ages. I actually tend to agree with the importance of Bitcoin there. I think Bitcoin is a pretty big deal if it succeeds. If it succeeds, then it's, you know, it's going to change the world in pretty drastic and radical ways and hopefully for the good. With that in mind, I think, you know, it would be kind of silly to waste your time writing about Dash, wouldn't it? It's just not <laughs> just not important in the scheme of things. I really don't think it is. What is important is also the thing I agree with on Pete is that, you know, Bitcoin is still a man-made thing and it's evolving and it has been evolving. It could have gone in several directions. It might still go in several directions. I think, for example, privacy would probably be a big topic in the next couple of years. And decisions we make now could carry on, you know, who knows, hundreds of years in the future, maybe. That's possible. So in that context, I think it's very important. We're probably living at a time where we have an opportunity to get to get this right. I'm not necessarily claiming that I know what is right in all aspects, but it's a learning experience for me as well. And I'm trying to discover what, what would be the right choices or what choices there would be. And I think informing people about that and helping them understand that it is actually them who are making these choices by which software they're running and which choices they make, that would hopefully be helpful. I know. I think that's more important than writing about the next Dash. yeah <laughs> the, the next i'm trying to think of the denta coin well, I, upgrade I would just hop in there aaron and i would say like i think that piece of the puzzle is missing from the work right now so like i think the hardest thing you know to remember is that you know new cryptocurrency journalists you know you're being thrust into this environment and there's some unwritten like rules about the environment, right? And I think it takes a long time to like unsee those things and then to really understand the concept, right? I think for me, it's like I almost look at my journalism career as like a process of unlearning. It's like I had to unlearn so many like kind of false or weird conceptions that I had about what I was doing. And I think every person who does journalism for cryptocurrencies is going to go through that same journey. You know, I don't know, like with this particular piece, I think there are a lot of people who are cryptocurrency journalists full time professionally who would question whether this piece is journalism. You could get <laughs> Why? Really? <Okay? laughs> why? Well, yeah. Why would that be? That seems strange. I to agree me. with that. But I would say that they would probably question that this is journalism because it starts from the premise that the, the reason that this information is useful is because the Bitcoin monetary system is something that we that will succeed in the future and that we need to know more about. Like it inherently asks questions about the formation of Bitcoin and the people and in this case, a specific event that shaped it. And I think it does a lot to contextualize why that event was really important, right? So P2SH, it was the first modern software, right? That it was activated in ways like, you know, Bitcoin updates are happening today. You know, it was the first software conducted after Satoshi quit the project. It marked kind of the first time that, you know, Bitcoin principal developers were really disagreeing about where to take the technology I see that as essential for informing the current conversation today because I see crypto objectivity as being somewhat of a complacent intellectual case, right? And I think you've both articulated really good reasons why. 
But I don't know. I think that, you know, journalism, you know, is it going to, can we really expect it to improve and how it helps Bitcoin forward? I'm not sure. The internet has so drastically changed what journalism is in so many ways, right? It's harder to get paid to do journalism, as Aaron alluded to. Consumers don't pay for it anymore. To the extent that it is monetized, it really favors audience building, right? So a classic example would be, you know, and this came up in the journalist chat room for the group that I'm part of the ACGR. It's, you know, I'd love to see a, a debate between Cammy Rousseau and Peter McCormick, right? Are they journalists or are they people who pander to their audiences to conduct something that is like journalism? I don't know. I don't know who that first person is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who that person oh, um, is either. Well, yeah, so that, you know, again, like there, you know, crypto journalism is kind of split into these, like, you know, you have people who focus just on Ethereum, just like you, you have people mm. who focus just on Bitcoin. And I think the tendency of the crypto journalism mainstream is to view anyone who focuses on one of anything as somewhat of an ideologue. Where I disagree with that is I think that scientifically, you can come to some very basic observations that Bitcoin as a monetary asset is increasingly looks like a stable, like it's creating the foundations for a stable economy. That's a highly complex view that I think that you're not going to get someone who just came out of journalism school, like understanding that they're not, I don't know why they're not going to accept that. And maybe this next bull cycle, like maybe we do need a cycle where Bitcoin really radically outperforms all other cryptocurrencies for that view to really be hit home. Like I personally think that we will see Bitcoin, you know, surge to well past its current all-time high next year. I think we have enough scientific data to suggest that's how its economy behaves. You know, we've seen two such scenarios before, but you know, that is not the mainstream view like right now. Yeah, does that matter? Do you care what the mainstream view is? Because I don't, I started out writing about Bitcoin, like my first articles were sort of targeted at the mainstream audience. This was back when I was still writing in uh, in Dutch, like 2013. Well, so I think that and, and I sort of shifted gears when I realized, you know what, I'm going to write about people who actually care about this stuff, because why would I try to pander to those who don't care? There's a group of people that agrees with me that this could be like a revolutionary new technology that's going to change the world. You know what? I think that's an interesting group of people. And if that's my audience, I'm totally fine with that. So I feel like I don't, so I don't want to be pushed into a camp here. What I'm sort of saying is that I think that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, like the nature of whatever the scientific phenomena that is happening right now, if you approach work in this space without a highly directed thesis or conviction, it is very unlikely that you will produce a body of work that is impactful. I think that that is a, a, an environment that journalists like typically don't work in. Like you typically, mm. like if you are someone who a business insider who's covering Tesla, it's like, you, what is your knowledge about Elon Musk or Tesla? It's not like they're in the factories every day looking at the specs for like new Teslas. Right. Like Bitcoin is like in cryptocurrencies, like they're exceedingly unique in that, you know, they're so early. They're an actual innovation. Right. And because of that, they're wildly misunderstood in, in just about every conceivable way. So I don't know. We've settled in this time period where there's a set of views that are the dominant norm. My prevailing criticism of the current cryptocurrency journalism culture is that those normal views aren't really being questioned. My hope would be that if we see Bitcoin radically exceed or exceed 
expectations in the next bull cycle and, and really be the ringleader of that. My hope would be that people question that perspective. I think that's the best possible outcome that we can expect. Well, so interesting thing that you said there, because what you're talking about are the incentives for journalism. And I think what you're saying is that the incentives for journalism in Bitcoin are a little bit different than, say, Tesla or something else. And I think that's absolutely right, because in a sense, you have to understand your money. Otherwise, you're not going to make good decisions about it. Whereas you can make good decisions about Tesla without necessarily knowing how the engine works and so on. So that to me is gets to sort of like the key to this whole thing, which is, you know, my podcast is called Bitcoin Fixes This for a Reason. In a sense, like the incentives for journalism in Bitcoin seem very different than incentives for journalism in other places, which is mostly fluff pieces, you know, just sort of not too many in-depth things. I mean, not to say that there aren't uh, investigative journalism pieces that are well worth reading, but, you know, it's fairly rare and, you know, you can kind of spot them from a long way away because, you know, they're much longer usually and, there, you know, people share them and they like them because it sort of helps them. And that brings us back to sort of like the purpose of the journalism. And I really like Darren's answer, which was, you know, I think what you basically said is that you're trying to help people be self-sovereign to understand their own money and to really be in control of what it is that they have. And instead of just sort of like, you know, have sort of like a half understanding and go from there, you're seeking for them to have a more fuller understanding. And that to me is a wonderful way to look at what journalism should be and what reporting should be. So the question for me, for me is, um, does this change crypto journalism or Bitcoin journalism in the future as these incentives sort of change, you know, what people write about? Because people are increasingly going to want more self-sovereignty over their stuff. And they're going to want to know these details like, you know, what the heck happened back in 2013 or what happened in 2017 or, you know, why are things the way they are and how should I think about this new controversy that's coming up and so on? You know, how does journalism change in the future? Yeah, I think that that's a really good question, right? I think that and I, again, I struggle to kind of label, you know, this article as journalism, because I think that, you know, journalism as a business model, it's inherently like journalism is a trusted third party entity, like, you know, it, it relied for a long time on the ability that, you know, when, when you worked at the New York Times, like in 1950, right, you controlled the information that reached many people. The unit economics of how journalism functions have been radically altered by the internet. I ultimately kind of came to believe that I think if you look at how journalism is constructed and if, and if you look at it, it's like almost dependent on that need to kind of process information from a central point and disseminate it that, like that isn't something that we can go back to. So then really you get into then that you're seeing the unbundling, quote unquote, of journalism, right? And I think that, you know, people who want great insight into a specific subject area, they're going to increasingly go to podcasts like yours, Jimmy, or Peter McCormick's or Aaron's podcast in the space. And they're going to, they're going to connect with the deep experts. And, you know, video journalism as well, right? I'm sure you're going to, we're maybe six to 12 months away from seeing streaming, uh, kind of check that box as well, right? So I think journalism 
has traditionally benefited from a monopoly on the release of information to a large number of people. That style of journalism hasn't really evolved to change. Like it hasn't answered the question of like what it will be. Ultimately, I do think that there are some good, there are things that only like media outlets and journalistic institutions can do, right? I think I will always go back to stories like the New York Times report on Louis C.K. with the many people accusing him of like sexual harassment, right? Or improper sexual conduct, right? I think that's the kind of story, like something like deeply researched that took many months, like that information is always going to be done by like a journalistic media outlet, right? The the publishing of material non-public information for the public good requires institutions that will pay for that to happen. But there's many other layers of what, quote, journalism was, you know, that have been unbundled. Comics are now the internet. The weather report is now an app. You're seeing all the old newspaper thing come apart. I think the better question is like, what, how to, you know, what do journalism institutions, like, what are they still good for? You know, and I think that I can really only come to it. It's they're only as useful as they traffic in the publishing of material, non-public information. In almost every other case, you are probably better served by going to an expert on social media or, you know, one of the many available platforms to really deeply understand it. Your thoughts, Aaron, on whether journalists have a place in the future even? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I agree with Pete that... uh, sort of the journalistic the journalist institution might be over and it's going to be more about individual journalists i personally hope there's we're going to figure out a way where getting people to pay for journalism again maybe you know i think adam curry is working on some sort of lightning podcast project that could be interesting i haven't looked at it in depth but these kinds of experiments are interesting i think that would be important the attention economy is not healthy for anyone it doesn't produce quality we need quality we need research so if we figure out a way where people are actually willing to pay for journalists doing their work i think that would be terrific i yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's a good way to look at it right you know in, in this particular case like with the article on the p2sh article right that you know that was a product of like a year's journey of like you know, for me looking into, you know, information and really kind of questioning things that I didn't know about something I already understood, like pretty well, like comparatively to like how most of humanity, like how much do they know about Bitcoin, right? So, you know, I would hope that people, you know, who want to see journalism shift to something that looks more like that, you know, will take the time to read it, consider it, look at it and, you know, kind of help us continue to push forward on this idea of, okay, if you are, a journalist and and you do believe that you know the science increasingly shows that bitcoin you know is succeeding that it's it's going to be something that will shape humanity for a great amount of time you know we'll need to support people who can ask hard questions about that right i actually didn't know how this and i still don't know how this article will be received because you know we haven't haven't published it but you know, would invite people to look at it. And I hope they see it as like productive, right? Or or proactive, right? That it's, you know, it's taking a view on a subject and it's applying a lens of journalism. And I think this is what you're getting to, Jimmy. It's it's asking questions about something, trying to give people a lens of perspective on something that maybe like previously they only had, 
you know, secondhand information about. They had to like trust that somebody within their network was was providing the right perspective on that. I think that is something that is still very relevant and that we should always support. I think this is where you get into the criticism amongst mainstream cryptocurrency journalists that like, you know, people who have the perspective that one cryptocurrency is dominant are ideologues who are pandering to their audience. That's the common criticism. I don't think that's accurate. And I think that, but I think we can do a better job of showing that. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the criticism from other reporters. To me, that doesn't really matter. It's something that I think I would want to read if I just sort of stumbled onto it, which I kind of sort of did. You sent the article over to me and I was like, it was in my inbox for a week before I actually read it. But as soon as I started reading it, I was like, wow, this is really good stuff. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know. And, you know, I'm fairly close to Bitcoin development and all that. So some of that stuff was actually quite surprising to me. So getting that sort of information out there and having and we don't know what the business model will be like in the future. But this, at least instinctually for me, has value. And, you know, just like a lot of other articles that that you guys have written, I would like to see more of that. What would it take for you to be paid by for this, right? <laughs> like how much does this cost, right? Like how does somebody need to sponsor you? How's this going to work? How do we get more yeah, stuff Yeah, I like think this? like in, so, you know, I mentioned a few times the cryptocurrency journalist group, the ACGR that we were talking about. I think this is a conversation amongst people. I think there's a demand or uh, an interest amongst people in funding more independent journalism. You know, that's something I think the group is talking about. You know, I think it's a new concept, right? Journalists have traditionally joined outlets who have distribution. And I really can't emphasize that enough, right? If you were a reporter in the 1950s, you didn't have to build your audience. Some paper boy like rode his bike and he delivered your news to some guy's doorstep, right? There was like actual physical monopoly. Um, and even then, you know, it's like your views were only relevant in like Seattle. Like if you own the Seattle Times, you wrote for the Seattle Times, like nobody, nobody read you otherwise. So that's obviously much different. And I think why journalists are uncomfortable right now at this time in history is that that journalists are increasingly in the position where they have to build their own audience. And as social, and I think this is the thing where it's like, how do you separate influencers from journalists, right? Can you do both? Can you both do the digital tools that audience building requires while still asking like hard questions about the technology. This is where I think a lot of the traditional journalism perspective like really struggles with what they're seeing right now. They're seeing journalists being kind of forced or not forced, but like, you know, they're benefiting substantially from audience building. And they see audience building as something that relies on things like, I just hit 20,000 followers. Thanks everybody for following me. They see that as like ideologically, you know, unethical. Beneath them or something? (laughs) Beneath them? Um, I don't know beneath them. I would say that, and I do think that is true a little bit, right? I do think that there is, you know, journalists have been highly affected by this and they view change negatively instinctually, right? I think that's the, you could say that if there's a pervasive criticism about journalism of this age, it's that, you know, by being uninformed about a subject, you inherently maintain the status quo. And I think this is the this is actually the nugget at the heart of Silicon Valley's criticism of traditional media these days is that by being uninformed about a specific subject and defaulting, you default to the idea that the status quo is good. And that is not an inherently ethical position. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you have an example? Well, so I guess like I would say that so like with Tesla, like I guess would be an ex- like I'll go back to the since we used it before, right? So 
how does the journal like do the journalist or the market know if Elon will succeed in revolutionizing space travel? Like, is that more likely today than it was four years ago? Is there a definite like known like future outcome to that? Right. Like, so I would maybe like hammer on that specific point and just say that. Yeah, like, so the status quo would be, oh, like this, there's no way this guy, like, I guess the status quo would take the position that entrepreneurs who continually underperform against big claims should be scrutinized, right? And and you saw a period where Tesla was like heavily, heavily drugged through, dragged through the mud by the media because they were failing to meet their expectations. But in the long run, it's likely that, you know, they will overcome that and they will you know, prosper. And I think a lot of innovation will come from the capital vehicle of Tesla having the money to fund innovations that weren't, you know, previously receiving that funding. So like, what is the ethical approach of that? Like, how does like one be a journalist, like within that construct? I think like most journalists would say, well, you cover the negative thing and you cover the positive thing. But in each case, you you haven't actually made like an intellectual choice at any level, right? And you're actually supporting... Mm-hmm this like you know this current ideological paradigm where it's like the status quo is somehow good right like how do you not end up falling into just supporting the status quo yeah that is very helpful and i think that's absolutely correct all right so i think we should start wrapping up what are your predictions on what journalism will look like in 20 years aaron in 20 uh, aaron's years better do you want me to go so. first <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question. I think 20 years is a long time, Jimmy. It is. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. I think 20 years we'll be flying in our Mars pods, <laughs> beaming our podcasts. I don't know, man. I think podcasts are probably, this seems like podcasts are going to be bigger and written articles are maybe going to get. I don't know. For me personally, I'm starting to prefer podcasts over articles. I, I prefer listening to things, especially if it's a bit lengthy. So I could see that trend continue. I don't know, Jimmy. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think that you know we're going to continue to see the unbundling of journalism. I wonder if journalism will survive because I, you know, again, I I don't know if you can really whittle down to like what is journalism in its essence, right? I think journalism has taken the form and has been reliant on owning the monopoly of communication dissemination, right? Like that is how journalism came to be at the scale that we know it. Um, inherently, at its purest form. Journalism is about asking questions and trying to find answers to things and trying to, you know, apply critical questions to understanding something. I think people, I think that will always live on in whatever form, right? And I, and I do really think that like, it makes me happy to see people like Peter McCormick, who were not traditional journalists fall into journalism because they have larger audiences and they feel a necessary need to present criticism to them. That to me speaks to the reason why journalism was invented as a craft, right? It's an, it's inherently useful in that way, or you wouldn't see people continuing to do it, right? I think even this podcast, right? Like you could argue that Jimmy has been doing a form of journalism on us, right? He's asking questions about, okay, I don't see journalism benefiting Bitcoin really in any significant way. Like what do these people who are actually you know, serving my need like have to say about it? That's a form of journalism, right? You're asking an alternative perspective and you're giving people the ability 
to discuss that. So I think that will continue to survive because I think that lens is useful. Whether that manifests into a specific profession or like how that those jobs or utilities are get performed, you know, I think that's sort of the, the question that we're really asking here. And I think that's really unknown, right? I think that content creators of today are, you know, they're likely it's going to be hard for that not to continue the, the, the pace that that's going. You think the line between sort of professional journalism and citizen journalism, it's going to continue to blur? I, I think that the idea that like the, we probably have too many media outlets today or like more than like the market should support and like not, I don't know. I think like most of them will over time probably go away, right? Like, I don't know, like the journalism once was about serving local communities. Now it's about serving interests on the internet and the, I, I don't know, like how do those two things, like I always, when I talked about this, I always tried to get people to realize that, you know, Bitcoin is going to do this exact same thing to banking. Like once you democratize access to the monetary supply and then, you know, creating services like based on that platform, it's hard for me to foresee that banks don't end up in a similar you know, position that, that media outlets were, right. That's the natural dissemination. I, I think, you know, to the extent that I find this question, like kind of interesting, it's like, I, I don't know what the long term of that is. I think, you know, we're seeing that platforms win. We're seeing that Bitcoin is a platform. Journalism is certainly struggling, right. As a platform, but it's surviving in different ways. And I think it's surviving in people continuing to find a need for it and to continue to think it's a useful perspective. Yeah, we've seen this trend of journalists becoming more, well, we already mentioned more individualistic or more, you know, not necessarily part of some sort of big journalist institution, but just going their own way. We're seeing that more or at least having their own name out there. We're also seeing more journalists in specific fields of expertise. So they're not necessarily some all-round journalist who works for the LA Times or whatever, but they're a journalist who knows a lot about healthcare or there are journalists who knows a lot about Bitcoin or there are journalists who know a lot about space travel or whatever. So this sort of expert journalists, we're seeing that. And also, I guess, with that comes that they're sort of more addressing a specific niche, not necessarily this mainstream audience, but sort of finding their own audience. So, you know, it's kind of obvious that these trends would continue, I suppose, then again, again, Jimmy, 20 years is a long time. Maybe by then the, <laughs> the trend will have reversed and we're back to something or something unrecognizable. I would actually, Aaron, I would ask, ask you like a question actually. So, and this has come from some of, you know, the kind of crypto journalism mainstream lens on your work. We know. So why are you not a core developer? Like what makes you not a core developer, quote unquote? And then if to the extent that you continue to progress that way professionally, how will then you still be a journalist? Well, so the first answer is I don't even, I can't code hello world. But I mean, if you want me to, I could learn to do that and I might. I don't know if I could be a core developer, but it's definitely high on my list to actually learn how to program. And then we'll see. I don't know if I could be a core developer. It would be interesting. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> uh, what was your second question? Well, then if, if you actually went in that direction if and became like more, as you adopted more of that like understanding, at yeah. what point do you stop being a journalist and you become defined by that thing? I think like the question really just sort of asks like, what is a journalist in its pure form? 
Yeah, well, that's an interesting question. And in a way, that's what Jimmy does sometimes, right? Like Jimmy writes articles and some of his articles, you know, are journalist articles. They're similar to the stuff we would publish on Bitcoin Magazine. And in fact, Jimmy, you have published articles on Bitcoin Magazine. <laughs> I have. Yeah. And on Coindesk, yeah. Yeah, right. So are you a journalist, Jimmy? <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> Well, I don't know. In a sense, I guess I am, especially like those articles that were very heavily into code and analyzing exactly what happened and giving like sort of a postmortem. I mean, those are some of my proudest articles. And actually, not that many people can understand them because they don't know C++ or, you know, why like putting a pointer to the previous one was the wrong move and that that was actually you know, off by one error or something like that. But that does explain to other developers what the heck is going on, that maybe a journalist that doesn't know how to code wouldn't have been able to write. So, I mean, it depends on what your definition of a reporter is and what your definition of a journalist is. If it's just conveying information, I mean, of course, I'm a journalist in that sense, but... Am I working for a mainstream publication? Absolutely not. Do I get paid for it? I've gotten paid for it like one or two times, but I mean, I didn't do it for the money. I mean, I, I can make a lot more money doing other things. So in a sense, I suppose I am, but it really depends on like, well, I don't know. Maybe we're talking about like a completely different paradigm because in a sense, like journalists as a profession isn't something that I would consider myself, but journalism as something that I've done to benefit other people that are reading it, that is something that I've done. So I don't know. Yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think like, you know, this particular like article that uh, Aaron and I recently wrote, you know, I think for me, it was about, you know, it's like getting people access to expertise, right? And I think in the case of Bitcoin specifically, we maybe haven't made the choices or things that, that have shaped, you know, the technology very accessible to people. And I think that is kind of a form of journalism, right? So I guess maybe if the end result of this is that you might have convinced me that this are, <laughs> this article is journalism and that, you know, maybe what I would hope that it would do is that, you know, people can read it and they find the technical battles, debates, and struggles over Bitcoin, like more accessible, and they can then, you know, shape their opinion more like personally based off that, right? Because I think that, you know, has still been sort of my struggle with, you know, Bitcoin maximalism, or however you want to call it, of, of being increasingly convinced that it's the right worldview, that it's the right description of the scientific phenomena that we're describing, but that it's inherently sort of misunderstood or so complex to understand that the only good way we've found to help people understand it is to like meme things, right? Like Bitcoin fixes this. Um, <laughs> but I think the issue with that is that, you know, you maybe don't see as much into the work, right? Like you don't maybe see as much of the human sacrifice or energy or, or what have you that went into it. And I think this article does that. Right. And I think to me, like this was that was kind of something I was trying to get to was how do you really show people that Bitcoin is like a unique technical thing? How do you show people that Bitcoin has come to very sound design choices? And how do you get them to, you know, see these this history as something that should give you more confidence in Bitcoin in the future? Right. I think hopefully if it's done its job, it, it hits on those things. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I certainly hope that journalism will go in a more uplifting direction. And, you know, 
helping people be more self-sovereign, helping people understand things better. And I hope it's not just in Bitcoin. I'm hoping that this is the case in all aspects of journalism and, you know, like in whatever we're made to understand instead of sort of fluffy pieces that are that don't add much, they'll get something out of it. And and ultimately, I, mean, I think that would be really good. The thing with fluffy pieces is they exist because, you know, they people want them to exist. They attract interest. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure all-time high articles probably get, you know, more ad views and things like that. And that's true. But, you know, at a certain point, like, you do get kind of tired of that, right? Like, there's only so much that you can read or watch that's kind of fluffy before you become unsatisfied and you're like, you know, like... If you play video games for 14 hours, you know, like it might be fun, but at the end of it, you're just kind of like sick to your stomach. I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, but I've certainly had it like after watching YouTube videos or watching sports a little too much or something like that. It's well, just like, I, what I the hell think did there I is stuff to learn about Bitcoin, right? And I think that it would be great to like have a more inviting process of getting people into that, right? I think that, yeah. To an extent that I have a bit of a problem with like the current like mainstream Bitcoin positioning is that, you know, in our focus on refining value propositions, you know, it's like, are we really doing enough to really understanding the strength of some of those value propositions? I think that, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of events that even after doing, you know, a lot of research into them, I can't tell you what happened there, you know, <laughs> I don't, and I think there's maybe a few people in the whole world who know the true story there. So I think that from that perspective, I don't know. I think that we live in a time where we can still really understand how Bitcoin came to be. And I don't think that the rest of humanity will always have that access. So I do think we have a bit of a responsibility now to like ask the questions and figure out like, you know, how we got here. Because, you know, again, like, I mean, if we are building the monetary system of the future, we have to be inviting to people, right? And in some sense, you can kind of look at us, you know, Bitcoiners as we're rejecting our modern monetary system right now. We're in the process of it and we're finding that we don't relate to it and that doesn't benefit us. But we, we could run the risk of like creating the same mistakes, right? Like maybe we build a financial system that is as impersonal to the people who inherit it. And maybe there's something we can do about that. I don't know. Yeah, well, let's, let's hope for a better tomorrow. In the meantime, where can people find you guys and where can they find this article that we've been talking about this whole podcast? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Van W. You can find my articles on Bitcoin Magazine. If you speak Dutch, I got a Dutch podcast, The Bitcoin Show. So that's at The Bitcoin Show on Twitter. What else? I'm doing a podcast with Sjors Provost, Defend William Sjors NATO. You can find that in your podcast app. I think that's about it. You can well, once Corona is over, you can come to one of our meetups in Amsterdam, the Bitcoin Show meetup. <laughs> you guys can find me on Twitter sure. at Pete underscore Rizzo underscore. We'll be publishing something on Bitcoin Magazine shortly, and hopefully more in the future. And yeah, if you're someone who was involved in some of the principal events of Bitcoin, you know, I'd love to talk to you about that experience and you know add to the level of knowledge we have about it. So. All right. Well, thank you both for this lovely conversation. Hopefully you guys will publish more in-depth pieces like this. We might, I think. Uh, Aaron pieces. and I haven't talked about doing another one of these because it took like three months to get this one out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Pete and Aaron can be found at, at 
Pete underscore Rizzo underscore and at Aaron Van W on Twitter and on BitcoinMagazine.com.